Welcome to New Life Bible Church, and thank you for joining us. Every week, listen to practical teaching of God's Word you can apply to your life as you live out your faith every day. Our vision at New Life is that you may know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Here's this week's message from New Life Bible Church. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I will never be the same. Never, 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 I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are loud over here. Huh? You guys got it going on. Must be a bunch of Hispanics on that side. Okay. Praise the Lord. So today I'm going to give you a recipe. How many of you like to cook? All right. So I'm going to give you a recipe today, and it's the recipe for faith. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Oh, before I read that, I want to welcome, I guess they've been with us for about 15, 20 minutes now, right? You started right at 11. Uh, uh, those of you who are on Facebook Live and watching us live on our uh, stream on our website, welcome. Good to have you here today. Uh, if you are enjoying this or you sh- join us every week and you still haven't subscribed to our YouTube page or downloaded our app, please do that. And if you would like to give this morning, you could do that also on the app or our website. Just hit the give button and, uh, and we- you'll be blessed for giving because that's what we believe around here. It's more your blessing to give than it is for us to receive it. So uh, recipe for faith, Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you... Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It all sounds pretty difficult so far, doesn't it? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Brainwash yourself that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, it just got harder. For I say that through grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now, how do I do all these things? It seems very difficult what he's asking of us. This is how. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. A measure. That's, that's uh, you know, how they say it in Oklahoma. Measure of faith. Or Missouri measure. So he's given us each a measure of faith or a portion. You know, you have portions in recipes. You put this and a pinch of that and a teaspoon of this and a tablespoon of that, right? There's portion that you put into a recipe to make it taste good and to make it do what it's supposed to do, right? If you're making a cake or anything like that, you have to have certain portions. But he's given us, he gave us a measure of faith. He's given us something that's already in us. And how do you know that? If you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You believed in an invisible God that came to reside inside of you through a Holy Spirit that caused your spirit to come back to life. And all these things, none of them are seen with the naked eye. It requires a measure of faith. So even at your moment of salvation or at the moment of receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it requires faith to even make that step or to do that. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But God gave each a measure or a portion of faith. That measure of faith is for uh, what, what I had read beforehand, right? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to live holy, to be acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. To not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. To live in the perfect will of God and, and to, do, to live in grace and to, do, and to be sober and to do all these things. It seems like, wow, how do I do that? Well, God gave you the faith to be able to accomplish these things. So the word measure in Greek is the word metron, or the word portion is the word metron, which is where we get the word meter, right? right? Which is simply a unit of measurement. So he gave us a unit of measurement of faith. It's almost like saying, well, is that all I need? No, that's just the beginning. You grow that measure of faith into a faith that's audacious, a faith that believes for things that are so impossible and so miraculous, right? You start with that little measure, but then you grow that measure. 
If this measure of faith is the main ingredient, then what do I need to add? What do we add to this? Romans 10, 17. And we're going to read this scripture a couple of times this morning. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, the main purpose to build your faith is to diminish your doubt. You know, I don't want to take it. I want to take it a step further, but I don't want to sound like I'm saying something that I'm not saying. So I don't want people to be confused. But it says that the faith of a mustard seed is all that you really need. So if, if, faith, is so, if faith can be so small and still accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish, then what needs to be absent? Doubt and fear. So when you grow your faith, what you do is you diminish your doubt and you diminish your fear. It's very important that that happens. If not, you can have great faith, but just a little bit of doubt. You can make a great chocolate cake, but you put a little bit of poop in it and you're not going to eat it. You ever seen the help? Is that why you're laughing? That's all it takes. Just a little bit. See, all that needs to be removed. All it takes is a little bit of poison. You have a slice of cake and it's just perfect. It tastes good and everything. You don't even taste the poison. But all it takes is a little bit. All it takes is a little bit of doubt in your recipe. And all of a sudden, it's not, it doesn't do what it was intended to do. So as you build this faith, your heart scale tips in the direction of faith and your doubt or fear has no power over what we believe. See, what happens is if you go into something and we talked about hope, uh, uh, abiding hope last week, right? Week before. Abiding hope. We said hope is is the target, but faith is the arrow. So if you have a target and you hope and you hope and you hope, you're never going to reach that target unless you have the faith to reach that target. So we're talking today the recipe of faith to be able to reach that. We can hope all we want, but it'll, it, that ingredient by itself will never accomplish what needs to accomplish uh, to give you what you want or what you're believing for. Mark eleven twenty three and 24, it says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and do not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, say, that's me, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Look, I highlighted, does not doubt in his heart. It doesn't even, it just says, if you believe whatever you say, I believe is, is the word for faith, right? You believe. But it says, and does not doubt. If you remove doubt completely out, the only thing left is faith. Because we're all dealt the measure of it. But yet, it, it depends on how much doubt was already in your mind or in your heart. Sometimes it's not about how big your faith is, but how small your doubt is. That tilts the scale, right? To, for you to believe and receive what you're believing for. So just believe. This faith to believe for the impossible and receive miracles has enemies that come to add to that recipe doubt and fear and unbelief and poop, like I said, and, and, and you know, poison. I'm currently teaching uh, on Wednesday nights the enemies of faith, and I'm going to just mention them real quick because I'm not teaching it tonight. I've already taught two of them. I'll be on the third one this Wednesday. And uh, one of the enemies of faith that you don't want in your recipe is unworthiness. Unworthiness is a major enemy of faith. It keeps you from believing that the promises that God has made for you are not for you because you've done something wrong or you haven't lived your life a certain way or because you, you struggle with a certain sin. See, Jesus never walked up to the blind man and said, what is it that, that you need forgiveness for? He says, what do you want? He says, I want to see. He says, well, then you have to, you have to ask for forgiveness and you have to you pray and, and make sure that you... Right? And he doesn't do that. He just heals them. And then he tells them, go and sin no more. After he heals them, the paralytic man brought down through the roof into the presence of Jesus. And he says, what do you want? You want me to forgive you of your sins or you want me to heal you of, your, of, of being paralyzed? And everybody, oh, that's heresy. How could you? He goes, oh, don't worry. I'm going to do both. The man just wanted to walk. And what did he get? He got a bonus that day. Right? He got the cream on the cake. We're talking about cake a lot this morning, right? The icing on the cake. He got, he got the, the buttercream. <laughs> Made with cream cheese. 
and just the right amount of sugar. Number one, unworthiness. Number two, failure to understand our place. We are seated at the right hand of God in Christ. See, when we pray, we're not praying from a lowly place and go, oh, God, please. No, we're looking to our left and go, hey, Daddy, how you doing? You gave me access to your throne room, and I'm seated here in Christ. Like it says in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, you can read through there. I'm seated here, and I'm praying to God. You know, we'd always do this. You know, sometimes we do this and we think that we're so much lower. And we are. We're not God, but, you know, I'm not saying that in any way. We are created in his image. But he has given us access to his throne room. Why do we, why do we you know, uh, uh, not understand our place and we come before God pleading? We're not to be pleading and begging God. We're to be proclaiming his promises into our lives because of where we are. We understand our place. Number three, failure to understand righteousness. Another uh, uh, part of the recipe that you don't want in there failure to understand righteousness it's a gift you've been given righteousness now holiness is your response to righteousness number four failure to understand our rights to use the name of jesus it's not a magic you know like abracadabra it's not it's not one of those phrases that you use to make things. No, the name of Jesus, Yeshua, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, is powerful. We have rights to use that name. Yes. We, f- we fail to understand that. Number five, the last one, failure to act on God's word. Faith without works is dead. These are enemies of your faith. You have to fight these off constantly. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him we must believe that he is who is this god he in the old testament whenever they said god or lord there was a response in the room whenever they mentioned his name they would always say creator of heaven and earth they, it was always a response because when there were so many gods back then that when they said God, they wanted to make sure that everyone understood. Even Nebuchadnezzar said that he is the God that created the heavens and the earth. He is the, your God is the true God. What happened to him is he never said that my God is the true God. Right? That's why he was on grass for seven years. He was the first guy that was addicted to marijuana. Oh, that's not what that means? He ate grass like a goat for seven years. And drank the dew from the, from the floor, right? I'm Christian jokes. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God has to be recognized for who he is, and this requires faith. Who is God to you? Do you notice that when people pray, and sometimes on Wednesday nights, people pray or you hang out with people and you talk about God, how God is different to everyone in the room? He's like, almost like a different person. Who God is to you is different than what God is to me. Why? Because there's different levels of faith of who he is. We need to get all of us at the same level to believe who he is. Uh, you know, he's creator of heaven and earth. He's omnipotent. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is Jehovah Nisi, my banner. He's Jehovah. He's God. He's my everything. He, right? He can accomplish. We, we make him. We put him into this box and we say no. And we take those five enemies and we put them and say, God only works. No, that's not how that works. God is not moving across the earth trying to see where there's a need so he can meet it. He's moving across the earth to see where there's faith so he can can accomplish what he intended to accomplish through that person's faith. Because if he was just meeting needs, then there wouldn't be hungry people in in the world. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. God has to be recognized for who he is. See, once we have faith in who he is, then we must confess with our mouths what is in our hearts. You guys know these scriptures? When cooking from a recipe, you use certain ingredients. <laughs> these ingredients come in different packages, and they come in different measure, measures or portions, and put them into a, a bowl or a container, right? And you mix it in order to have the desired outcome of what it is that you're cooking. Is that correct? Some of the cooks in the house. Yeah, that's pretty much close to it. Our heart is the bowl, is the actual bowl where these ingredients must be added to. If you had something in that bowl that wasn't the ingredient, you would have to remove it. See, the Word of God is 
in a book written on pages, but we must hear and extract these words and place them into our bowl or our heart in the measure that he says for our faith to grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, Romans 10, I'm going to break it up into uh, different portions. I'm going to skip some. Uh, Romans 10, 8 through 10, then I'm going to read 13 and 14 and then 17 again. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For <laughs> That word saved is so powerful. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So there's your portion. You have to have believed to be able to receive. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a... I have purpose. Without a preacher. 17. So then faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. See, the ministry of the word should form. Listen very closely. The ministry of the word should form and or strengthen our beliefs that will in turn govern what we think, what we say, and what we do. That deserves repeating. The ministry of the word should form and or strengthen our beliefs. That, that will in turn govern what we think, what we say, and what we do. If your thinking and your saying and your doing is not in a place of faith, then we need to continue to build that, that, you know, that place, right? It should govern. We need to let the word govern us. This is part of what happens in the church and especially in Christianity. We take the word and we want to govern it. We're not in control, somebody got that. We're not in control of what the word is supposed to do in our lives. God is in control of that. But what do we do? We want to take the word and we want to govern it so that we can get what we want out of the word. Instead of saying, Lord, your word says, how does that govern what I believe? How does that govern what I say? How does that govern what I think? How does that govern what I do? That's a big one, what you do. We want to take the word and change it to fit what we're doing rather than take the word to have it change what we're doing. Yes. I was, I think I've said this before and, and you're, it's bearing repeating, but I was speaking to somebody that's living in a certain lifestyle and they were coming to church here and, and uh, we never, you know, judge or anything like that. But they asked the question and I, I'm, I'm never going to water down the word when I'm asked the question is, you know, is this sin? And I said, well, according to the word, yes, it, it is. And he says, well, you interpret the word differently than I do. That's what he said. I said, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I agree with you. Hmm? Right. They kind of looked at me like, I said, that's right. You interpret the word in a way that helps you continue to live your life the way that you're living it. I interpret the word in a way that changes my life. Yes. There's a difference in the way that you interpret the word. There absolutely is. Yeah. I want to interpret the word in a way that God changes who I am and molds me into this person that he intended me to be from the very beginning. It changes and it governs what we think, what we say, and what we do. We see in Romans 10 that there are three ingredients that man must put together to produce or receive salvation. Confess according to uh, the faith in your heart, number one. Number two, believe according to the word of God. And number three, accept it as truth. Very simple. Let's read Acts 14, 7 through 10. And they were preaching the, everybody say, gospel. And they were preaching the gospel there in Lystra. And a certain man with, without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. Why aren't we seeing that anymore? It's the same today as it was yesterday. See, Paul did not heal this man. Because if he did, then we would have to go seek Paul. Isn't that true? The man was healed by his own faith because he heard the gospel, had faith, and then, came, and, and then came his corresponding action. See, Paul did three things. 
He had the three ingredients to, to faith in this man's life. He did three things. He preached the gospel. He perceived that the man had faith to be healed. And he told the man to stand up and walk. And then the man did three things. He added three ingredients to his faith. He heard Paul preach what? The gospel. He had faith to be healed. And he leaped and he walked. The man received the faith needed to receive his healing by hearing Paul preach the gospel. So what is this gospel? Don't you want to know? Right? I mean, if this is, he's preaching the power of the gospel, then what is this thing? What is this that can help me receive healing? What is this thing that can deliver me out of the oppression I'm in? What is this thing that can save my family? What is this gospel? And what is the power that is in this gospel? What is this delicious ingredient that Paul added to the man's measure of faith. Yeah. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the, come on, power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of This gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Let me give you some some, uh, uh, definitions of this word, salvation. In the Old Testament is Yeshua. Does that sound familiar? Jehovah is salvation. It's what they named Jesus. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah. Jehovah is salvation. Here's the definition. Salvation, deliverance, welfare, prosperity, deliverance, salvation by God, and victory. Pretty good, right? It gets better. Salvation in the New Testament Greek is the word soteria. And I know I added my Hispanic accent to that. And soteria, I believe is how you say it. But deliverance, preservation, safety, bodily healing. You thought you were just getting fire insurance. Bodily healing, deliverance from the molestation of enemies. In an ethical sense, that which concludes to the soul's safety or salvation. Salvation as the present, everybody say present, present possession of all true Christians. (laughs) And future salvation, it's also added to the present salvation, future salvation, which is the sum of benefits and blessings which Christians redeemed from all earthly ills will enjoy after the visible return of Christ from heaven in the consummated and eternal kingdom of God. Salvation is now and later. I taught a a message one time, salvation, now and later, and I gave out the now and later candies so people would remember, but they ate them and then they forgot. So you're supposed to keep it to remember that salvation is now and later, but maybe a candy wasn't a good idea because they ate them. Salvation is not just a by and by. It's not just for when we go to heaven. It's not just fire insurance. I don't get to go to hell. Listen, if you come into the kingdom and you receive Jesus Christ because you understand his love and the price that he paid for you to have access into his kingdom, you come in with a different heart than if you came into the kingdom because you were afraid of hell. The gospel is good news. Good news. Not if you keep going down the way. Listen, did somebody have to tell you that you were a sinner and going to hell? Nobody really had to tell me. I knew how bad I was. I know how blemished I was. I know what I was doing was wrong, and I did it anyway. But when somebody came and said, God loves you just like that, oh, come on. You don't know who I am. You have no idea. No, he loves you just like that. You don't know the things I've done. He loves you just like Come on, you have no idea what I did yesterday. He loves you just like that. Pastor David Southwell, June 21st, 1987, would not leave me alone. He hounded me with the hounds of heaven. <laughs> he hounded me until I gave my life to the Lord. And then he said, he loves, you so, he loves you just like that, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. And my life began to change, and I began to grow, and I began, because my salvation started June 21st, 1987. What salvation? The consummation of all the things that were promised at the cross. The promises of living this life without any earthly ills. What, what, what salvation? The salvation that not just promised me, not that I'm not going to hell, but that all the promises of God in my life are yes and amen. Yes. 
We're always all, I can't wait to go to heaven. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more hurt. There'll be no more pain. There'll be, how about heaven on earth? Huh? Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would you pray that if it's not true? That's what he meant when he said salvation. It's now and later. See, no wonder this man was healed. Paul was preaching the gospel of salvation. (laughs) Right? No wonder this guy heard this and he was like, oh, yeah, I want that. And he believed. If we are able to believe that one day we will spend eternity in heaven because of our faith in the redeeming power of Jesus, then we must believe for the rest of what salvation brings. Fire insurance is just part of what was provided for us through salvation. Let me tell you what faith is. If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, then faith is a firm persuasion, a conviction based on what you have heard. Faith is grasping the unrealities of hope and bringing them into the realm of reality. One more time. Faith is a firm persuasion. It's a conviction based on what you have heard. Faith is grasping the unrealities of hope and bringing them into the realm of reality. See, depending on what you're believing for, there are different recipes, but all the recipes come from the same pantry. They all come. All the ingredients come from the same pantry. They come from the Word of God. So I'm going to give you two recipes this morning, and we'll be done. But we're going to, I'm not just giving you a recipe to put on a piece of paper. We're going to cook something today. Yes. Right? We're going to have an outcome. Do you believe that? Yes. As I share these ingredients of these recipes of faith for these two things, there's many things that we could do. We're going to cover healing. We're going to cover prosperity. Are those good things that we can cover? Yes. Can we cover those? We'll cover those today. But as I cover these recipes and as I give you the ingredients, we're going to mix them together in the bowl that is our heart this morning. And we're going to declare that these things that are in these ingredients are true. And it's going to happen just as I give you the ingredients. Say, I believe that. that. Oh, you're not. I believe that. that. See, because as I share these ingredients this morning, you're going to begin to receive your healing because you're going to believe what is being preached to you by the preacher. The gospel of salvation. You're going to believe what is being said to you about your finances. And you're going to begin to see a difference in your life. You're going to see a difference in your body this morning. I believe that if you came in here with pain, you're going to leave without it. Why? Because I'm about to give you a recipe for that. You're going to leave here delivered from anything that you, you're, all your earthly ills. Come up with something that's covered under all. That, that three-letter word covers it. It covers all. Your earthly ills. So I'm about to give you these recipes. Are you ready? You have to take the bowl that is your heart and remove any doubt and fear because the word said so. Psalms 103, 1 through 5. A psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, come on, help me out, who heals all your diseases, ingredient, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things, that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Come on, are you tired this morning? Not anymore, right? Man, I, woo, I'm renewed like the eagle. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Come on. By his stripes, we are healed. You either believe this or you don't. You either allow doubt to come in and steal this faith from you or you don't. It should change what you think, what you say, and what you do. Quit confessing these, quit confessing these things into your life. 
You ever seen these commercials? My mesothelioma. He says it right at the beginning. If he's just an actor and he doesn't have it, by the end of the commercial, he has it. He calls it my. He says, my this. And, and they say these things and they call these diseases. Then the best part is at the end when they spend a minute and a half telling you all the side effects. I think I'd rather have the disease. It's terrible. I think I have this. Oh, this hurts. WebMD says, go to Bible study tools. When you feel a pain or something, go, go and look up, you know, scripture for my elbow. Scripture for diabetes. I have, a, I have a book in there. It has a scripture for every disease you can come up with. Did they give you that at Ramah? They gave, it's, a, it's a paper like book that they made, and one of the students did all the studies. They spent almost two years doing the studies on the different scriptures. Do you know that cancer began at, in, the, in the ten plagues? That's where the beginning of cancer came, from the plagues. The boils on their skin. That's where it began. And I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. All those things. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't have any of these things. They may say that, but that's not the truth. We have to begin to really stand and really begin to confess and act. And, and come on, we're not denying that these things aren't in our lives and that they're not part of, of what we have. And, you know, we're not denying that. I'm not saying that you confess something until it goes away. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you confess the word. You believe the promises of God. It changes what you say, what you think, and what you do. What I read, Isaiah 53, 5? First Peter 2, 24. Now, we said, and by his stripes we are healed. Right? Isaiah is prophesying as if Jesus was on the cross already. He's prophesying from a place of, this is about to happen, so we are healed. But First Peter 2, 24, this is after the cross. He says, who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were. were healed. Not are healed, were healed. Listen, I'm not here to ask God to heal me. I'm here to bring into manifestation what he's already done for me. Right? He's already done this for me. I just have to have the faith. I have to add this ingredient into my bowl that's going to cause this, right? See, if God took your bowl and you were making cupcakes and... Back to cakes. So you're in your bowl, and you, and you put your flour in there, right? And you have to add the eggs and, and whatever else you're going to add in, the, you know, vanilla, or you're going to add chocolate or whatever. You add it all into the flour. There's an ingredient that causes it to rise and to become more than what's already there. So if we could call flour that measure of faith, then the word is the leaven or the yeast that causes it to rise. Can we say that? Come on. <laughs> I don't know if I can. If our heart is the bowl that receives these things from God and it holds the flower that is the measure of faith that we've received, then the leaven is what causes it to rise, which is the word of God. Right? It's the yeast or, that causes it to become bigger and longer. Right? Some of you got it. You should be healed. This is a good, I am. You can say I am. Recipe of faith to be prosperous. Maybe I'll get a little more hoopla from this one. Everybody likes money, right? Second Corinthians 9, 8. You know prosperity is not money. Do I need to give you a teaching on prosperity? The word prosper means to be pushed forward. When we're pushed around, prosper. <laughs> right? It means that God puts you in a place that you could not put yourself. He puts you forward. If you're a janitor in a school, you better mop them floors, man, like you're doing it for God himself. And eventually you might become the, the, the overseer of the entire maintenance of the whole janitor of the whole school. Right? You may not have accomplished that on your own. But because believing in the word of God in prosperity, it doesn't mean that you go from being a janitor to the CEO of a big technical you know, company. That's not what that means. 
that you go from making $20,000 a year to a million dollars a year. That's not what prosperity means. It doesn't mean that you move into a 20,000 square foot house and drive a Mercedes when you only make $40,000 a year. That's not what that means. And I'm sorry, and I ask for forgiveness, and I repent on behalf of those that have preached prosperity this way. Because that is not what it is. If it were, the ch- all the, we would all be millionaires. We'd all be rich according to the standards of this world. Would we not? Prosperity is to be moved forward. And some of you, just in the last few weeks or month, have began tithing and changed the way you tithe. And you've gotten promotions at work. You prospered. You were moved forward. That's what prosperity means. 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance, abundance for every good work. Yeah, you get to keep some of that, but the abundance is for the every good work. The Bible talks about a storehouse. You get to have stuff that you get to keep in your storehouse. But don't build another one because eventually that storehouse is going to burst out. And then you're going to have so much you're not going to know what to do with. And you're going to have to have an abundance for every good work. You're going to have to give it away. Better to give than to receive. John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, says Jesus, that they may have life and that they may have it in more abundantly. They may have it more abundantly. Isaiah 119. If you're willing and obedient, say I am, you will eat of the good of the land. Luke 638. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I can't help but say it that way. Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. You got to read your Bibles. If you knew just what that meant right there, man, we would be, whoo! And heirs according to the promise. <laughs> what promise? 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of all, not one, all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All the promises of God are yes and amen for us. Put these recipes together. Write these recipes down. Put them on your mirrors. Read them every morning. Put them on your refrigerator. Put them wherever you need. Put them in your, you shouldn't read them in your car. I always say, put your scripture in your car. But if you're reading, you know. But maybe before you start to drive, you know. Before you start to drive, you can read it. You know, and don't put it where the speedometer is because then you don't know how fast you're going. But, you know, put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day and you're going to confess it and you're going to profess it. And sooner or later, you start to believe it. And, oh, my God, I'm believing it. And, Lord, I'm not just believing it. Oh, I used to limp and I don't limp anymore. I used to have this pain and my arm didn't work very well. And I had, I had a stroke and, and I couldn't move this and now I can. And, and I had this pain and it's gone. And I had this opportunity to, to prosper and it, the door's open and they asked me to take it. And, oh, look, and, oh, all this stuff starts happening. Why? Because of your faith. You put the recipe together. Right? So if you took the flour and you took the the leaven or the yeast and you put it together and you added, I'm a chocolate guy, so we added chocolate to it, right? And we added our eggs and our oil and we stirred it all up and we put it in another container and we put it where? In the oven. Let's put our recipe in the oven and bake it. Come on, let's bake it until the out, until it rises, right? And then I don't know about you, they tell you not to do this. I like my cake warm. You know, you put the cream on it when it's warm and it falls apart. I don't care, it tastes the same. You're supposed to let it cool, and then when it cools it, no, it's better warm. It's better warm. And then if you do the box, if you do the box, instead of putting water, you put milk. You ever do that? It tells you add water. I add milk. It's moist. Oh, it's so good. Look, I got clapping going on over here. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's just, go, oh, right? Where, where are we going after this? Where are we going? I'm going where I've never gone before. I'm doing what I had never done before. I'm going to begin to act 
Like these things are true because they are. Because they are. And you can go home and make your own recipes. Right? Here's your recipe book. Go home and make your own recipes. Put them together for whatever it is that you're believing for. I only did healing and prosperity here today. But you might be asking, what do I do about my mind and my soul and my depression and, and my and my? Quit calling it my. You can start right there. You can start right there. Quit calling it that. Where do you think that comes from? The enemy. <laughs> I got 60 seconds. Science has connected anxiety to social media. We were not created to satisfy 100,000 people. We were not created to get acceptance from 100,000 people. We were not created to have people comment on who we are without them even knowing who you are. We were not created for that. And if we don't receive that acceptance, because I don't even have my, I don't, I don't bring my phone in here, I leave it in there. And we, it, what are we doing? We're looking for something there that is not there. There is no app for that. There is no app for what God is trying to do in your life. You gotta look beyond your phone. Right? And look at your spouse and your friends and, and those that are in your life that are actually, when you call at three in the morning and say, I need you to pray for me, they actually pray for you. That's what you need. Get your face out of the phone. Get off of social media and begin to search out God and what he says about you. I'm telling you, the anxiety starts to go away. It starts to go away because you're not trying to please anybody but God. And let me tell you something. God is easily pleased by his children. I was ministering to somebody about their child this week, and they came to me. And they said, oh, they're doing this, and we got it, and we got it. And then I, I, when they were done, I said, I go, oh, that's, that's, that's okay. Tell me something about your child that's good. Oh, they don't do drugs, and they don't really, you know, and, and you know, they do help around the house. And by the time they were done, I was like, oh, my kid's not that bad. Why? Because they focused on the good things that that child has. You could find good in anybody. Meditate on these things. There's a recipe for you right there. Remove all those things. Now, do we need to address them? Yes. But how do you do that? Through love. And how are you going to love someone that you can't find something good in? You're going to find something good in them every time. Right? And he leaves the socks by the bed. I'm going to divorce him. Why? Because you're focusing on the socks. Everyone has something, even if it's just one thing. Even if it's just one thing, right? Remove from the recipe all these other things and you'll live a happier life. Anxiety goes away. Depression goes away. All these things begin to go away. The enemy is using our our society today to implant those things into our soul. Our soul is meant for touch. Our soul is meant for interaction. Our soul is meant to be with someone that you see face to face, right? That's, that's, That's what satisfies us. That's what satisfies us and we're trying to get it from some electronic thing. And then we, we, I am who I am and I'm confident in who I am because of who God made me. Not because of what people say about me. When I got over that, I was, I got so free. It is, it is so free that I don't care what you think about me. I care what you think about God. Right. So yes. I, I want to represent him well. Yes. Yes. Right? It says, there's a scripture that says, don't trust anyone, not even the one you lay with. Uh-huh. That means your spouse. Uh-huh. But you missed the context. Trust the God yes. that is in them. Yes. That'll save your life. Trust the God that's in them. How do you know if God's in somebody on Facebook or on Instagram? Oh, they post scriptures every day. I do that. Oh, yeah. Preach it. The devil does it too. He twists it and misguides you with it and uses it, right? 
Come on, we, we, got, we got something going on right now, right here in, in our midst. This recipe that God gave us for faith to believe for these things, you need to start doing what you couldn't do before. You need to start believing. Next time you go to the doctor, you walk through that door and you believe that God is going to, is, is so healed you that he's going to tell you something. Wow, this is a miracle. How did that happen? We're believing that for Taino. Such a recovery, 100%. Oh, he'll never be, he'll never be 100%. That's what you said. That's not what he said. He will make it as if it never happened. Right? Come on. That's the truth. That's the truth. Put your recipe together. Let's cook something. Begin to believe for our neighborhoods and, and people that are unsaved. I don't want people from other churches. I want the unsaved walking through this door. That's what we want to grow the church, not swell the church. That's what happens. Something good's happening over there, and we swell up the church over here. Something good's happening, and we all swell up over there. I'm not here to swell up the church. I'm here to grow the church. How do you do that? With the unsaved. Come on. We need to be praying for that and believing for that. That's why we're here. The church is the platform for the gospel. And if we're preaching the gospel, people will be healed. People will be delivered. No choice. No choice if you just believe. Amen? Stand to your feet this morning. Thank you, Lord. Is the, the, oh no, um, Jim left, okay. So I just want to give you an opportunity this morning. Uh, we talked about the gospel, we talked about salvation, and maybe you've never actually made that step. Oh, I believe in God, and, and you know, I believe that he exists, I believe in Jesus Christ, and, but it says that you have to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. The devil believes in God, yes. right? And he, he has no way out of, out of his eternity. But we do. Yes. We do because Jesus died on the cross for us. And all you have to do is accept him and ask him to come into your heart.